You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and we've got loads to get through today, so let's start straight away delving into the creative writing secrets of Sarah Millican with adult language from the start. You are very positive. Mm. You're really positive. Yes. You're really like we were talking about Dan Evans's podcast uh, earlier on. Mm, we should him. we should officially <laughs> mention here that you are the first person I'm interviewing who's already heard the show. Hooray! Hooray! I win some kind of prize. Certainly, <laughs> definitely. You're a, you can be an ultra goldsmith. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> There's only one. I was one. just a super. Was it? Was I a super? You were one? a super goldsmith before, super yeah. Goldsmith. Yeah, and uh, that that idea would never have probably been mentioned again had you not excitedly gone, "Yay, I'm a super goldsmith!" <laughs> but now it lives, and it's your fault. Um, <laughs> So you, so someone, like in a conversation I had with Dan, Dan, as we were saying, whilst being incredibly endearing, has this kind of, not quite a darkness or a sadness necessarily, but he has this kind of cheesed off sort of Yeah, kind of doer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think when I speak to him, I kind of go, yeah, not just when I speak to him, I mean, I also am someone who can be a bit more kind of, God, this is hard, this comedy life. This is this is a hard thing. This is oh, this takes a lot of me and all the rest of it. Mm. Whereas you have always, as long as I've known you, been so positive and mm. been a kind of a breath of fresh air in the circuit, but also just one of those people who kind of goes, look at all, look at how amazing this is. Well, yeah, but it's, when do you have your sort of more kind of mawkish moments? When are you? Is that after a hard gig, or is that after you get in and you're it's three in the morning and you've got to be up at nine and you've driven all night? Or is, uh, are they, is it after a thing, or is it just sometimes it comes over you? Yes, that one. Oh right, because I I had the other kind, the other okay. kind after a, a hard gig yes. or after S- sensible, understandable, yeah. reactive. Yeah. Tiredness. But then I have my <laughs> my rule. You know my rule. Should no. I, is it time? Should I tell you my rule? Yeah, go on. Um, this is Millican's law. Okay, love it. <laughs> I've rather arrogantly called it. Um, uh, this is the if you have a bad gig, mm-hmm. you're only allowed to be annoyed at yourself until eleven a.m. the next day. Okay. I've heard a variation on this, which is uh, wait twenty four hours, have a wank, get over it. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so, but that, Whose law does that go to law? No, it's not mine. I, I wish, if anyone remembers telling me that, write in, remind me who you were. Why do you have to wait 24 hours before you're allowed a wank? I think you're allowed other wanks in the. In oh, the, is, that like a, is that like an Uber wank? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's, okay. that's the final candles. wank. Exactly. It's okay. a posh wank before you go back wank. to being happy again. So, okay, so yours is. 24 it, your, hours is too long. Because <laughs> if you've got a gig the next day, that 24 hours is too long. So, so mine, and I made this up, and I made this up to help get me over yes. bad gigs and it absolutely 100% works uh, so 11 o'clock the next day you have to uh, draw a line under it and get over it mm-hmm. because you're not allowed to, you sort of until then you're allowed to be annoyed at yourself or annoyed at the gig or annoyed at the promoter or annoyed at the audience or just frustrated all of those horrible things that come with a bad gig so 11 o'clock you have to get rid of it um, equally if you have a brilliant gig you have to get rid of it at 11 o'clock as well. Oh, very good. So you can't be smug and uh, think you're like king of the world after 11 o'clock because if you go into your next gig, which could very easily be the next day, um, either thinking you're brilliant or either thinking that you're terrible, you will die either way because you go in all Billy Two Dicks um, thinking, sorry, I think I made that up as well. <laughs> it used to be Charlie Big Potato. It's Charlie yeah. Big Potato's where I'm from, yeah. I like Billy Two Dicks. <laughs> you go in all Billy Two Dicks thinking, I'm going to nail this. You'll yeah, die course, because you're course. not concentrating on the gig. But if you go in thinking, oh, they're all going to hate me, they will because you won't be very good. So you get rid of it all. I've been, But I have been known to get up earlier than planned so I could have a little bit more morning in. Okay, so, <laughs> so you, so you, could, you yeah, could either wallow or champion yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and it absolutely 100% works because you have to get rid of whatever it is and you have to treat every individual gig uh, individually. You have to treat them mm. all uh, on their own as uh, on their own merits and you can't go in with baggage. So that's one thing that I've done to get sort of help get through it. So that sounds to me like you are, you've got what, uh, what is known in this world as willpower, which I think is yeah. something I kind of... I aspire to. I don't, I don't. I don't feel like I've got much willpower at all. I've got kind of a relentless drive to somehow do a thing, but that seems calm and positive and right. This is a sensible way. But if of it's doing a rule, it. yeah. But you've still decided to make it a rule, haven't you? Yeah, but as soon as you tell other people that it's a rule, and other people yeah. like I know a couple of comics who told me that they had told new comics coming up about the rule so if, okay, if new so now, comics yeah. are doing it i mean i'd I, you know stuck by it anyway but if new comics are, are sticking by it i can't not yeah good and, o- good. and also you know that's that uh, or you know, nobody would ever know i would know mm-hmm. and it's just really healthy i think it's really healthy to just go it's the same as you know if any bad thing happens at work and i think you can quite easily go okay we're just gonna let it go now because it's mm. not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't make you a good comic if you're hanging around. And it makes you um, lose self-confidence. And there are enough things in this industry to make you lose self-confidence yeah. without one bad gig doing the job for you. So hello again. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it so far. This podcast is a lot of things today. Uh, Sarah is a real, she's a real comedy nerd and she goes into great depth on uh, on the, the subject which she loves, which we all love. Um, so this one I think is very, very accessible and very detailed as well. We're going to be following the journey of a joke from an idea in Sarah's head to the notebook, to the new material night, to the tour. So we're going to be talking as well with some very specific examples. I think it's going to be uh, very interesting. Um, also, this is, I mean, we say the tour. Of, of all my guests so far, Sarah is certainly the has the biggest profile. Um, and 
with that kind of profile comes some fairly unique challenges, which we're going to be discussing uh, as well in some detail. We're going to be talking about uh, her preparation for TV panel shows. Um, although we're not going to talk about it directly, uh, you will see throughout the constant work that goes into maintaining a career of this magnitude. And, uh, and what's fascinating, I think, is the cast-iron willpower and the rules with which Sarah approaches every aspect of her job and her life, which seemingly enable her to shrug off the insecurities which plague so many of me or us. Uh, there's so much of this game, this, this old game, so much of it is a confidence game. It's a it's a con. It's a, in the in the in the old sense of the world. It's about the confidence. It's like surfing sometimes, not just the gig, the lifestyle itself. I feel like if if you wobble, then you fall off. If you think like Douglas Adams's thing, if you think you uh, if you think to yourself, I can't be flying, then all of a sudden you're right. And uh, I think Sarah has just an, an incredibly positive approach to her job and her life and her working life which means that she never wobbles she never falls off and I think we can probably all learn something from that um, also there's going to be some advice for open spots very specifically I've, I've tried to pass on some of the, the Neuract questions I've been sent um, advice regarding how you turn professional some really good suggestions for booking for how to get over bad gigs and particularly a really great tip which probably seems obvious but I never thought of it at the time on how to get writing time to meld into your day job so straight back to Sarah Millican uh, in a moment but I should just ask you please keep listening at the end we talked for so long that uh, we've got loads of extra stuff that I couldn't fit into a normal podcast show so I've made it downloadable we've got another 35 or 40 minutes of this conversation and keep listening at the end of the show for details on how you can get access to those extras uh, which are all about uh, she talks about how she deals with audience interaction um, she talks about this is particularly interesting how to cope with seeing individual people in the crowd not enjoying themselves and how not to let that unsettle you and lots and lots more plus at the end of the show I'll be releasing some more dates for the Comedians Comedian interviews that you can come and see live at the Edinburgh Festival so keep listening afterwards but for now please enjoy Sarah Millican as I say, speaking as someone who has had some bad gigs recently, to hear you say, when you've had a bad gig, you know, when I've had a bad gig mm. like this, do you still have bad gigs? Yeah, yeah. You're Sarah Millican, off of the telly. Off these of days. the telly. Um, you know. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, it's different. It's not the same kind of bad. It's hard, I'd say, rather than bad. Um, but sometimes on a tour show, they take a bit of getting going. Mm-hmm. And I would say, because they've paid to see me, it's not like at a comedy gig where you have to get them, you know, grab them in the first sort of couple mm-hmm. of minutes because you're one of a number of comics and they haven't, they don't know anything about you generally. Um, so these people on tour have paid to see me, but I always work out there are probably half of them are like proper fans who have seen mm-hmm. me on the telly or have seen me do live stuff before and just like what I do and half of them have been brought yes so that balances out yes. at a sort of generally lukewarm audience because there are some people who I could say hello and they'd go <laughs> and then other people would go oh I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like this yeah so you have to win half of the audience and it can still. work against you can't it if some people over enjoy themselves I saw Eddie Izzard in, in London mm. in the West End and he walked out on stage and went, uh, uh, hello, and people fell about actually laughing. Mm. And that made me, as a huge lifelong fan of Eddie Izzard, that made me kind of go, oh, mm. well, you know, let him do some stuff. Yeah, but it's oh. just, it's adorable. It's, it's usually because people have 
sometimes bought tickets like a year in advance and yeah, they're so they're, they're just the fizzing they're just fizzing sure sure no I'm not, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be negative about but those people but in terms of the balance of the room it can sometimes mess horrible. up the yeah. um, the sort of timing if people mm. laugh at different points and things but but generally I have a lovely time I'm very lucky I have a lovely time because I do slightly ruder version of what I do on the telly I'm not massively different it's ruder and it's more sweary mm. but it's not in style it's not any different to what yeah. I do on the telly so uh, I think people hopefully are satisfied but every now and again there'll be a harder one if it's hard in the first half then I think if I had a support I never have a support but if I had a support mm. that's what they would have done so yeah. I make out like I'm going on new in the second half okay I don't go like hello and like like I've not met them yeah, of course, but I of come course. out thinking this would be if I had a support this would be where they'd be nice now where a lot of comics actually who have a support come out in the second half yeah. when they're already lovely and warm yeah. so I come out I, I don't, can't ever take the baggage from the first half into the second half sure. so I go into the second half thinking this is where comics yeah. who have a support start and nine times out of ten on the harder ones for the first half the second half is lovely because they're warm they've had another drink and blah 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 very rare but does it, it does happen it's hard all night mm-hmm. it's not a death I never die like that I think it could at a gig still mm-hmm. but not at a show where they've where you know I'm on the ticket but it, it does happen sometimes where it's hard throughout the whole show but then I still never comment on it I never do any of those rookie mistakes of saying oh that normally gets more or yeah. oh, we are quite quiet tonight because they don't know that they, they are just not a lively know, audience yep. and sometimes you realise that's my stomach rumbling apologies if you picked that up um, sometimes it's because it's Tuesday. Mm, mm. Like, I remember I did my second Edinburgh show. I was in the Beside at the Pleasant. And Mickey Flanagan was in before me. Yeah. Uh, in after me, sorry. And one of the days, he used to just go, how was it? And I'd go, oh, they're lovely. Or, you know, Monday. And I went, oh, they're really tough today. And he went, it's Wednesday. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> just, because all days blend into one in Edinburgh, you forget that. Friday they'll be a bit more drunk Saturday they'll be lovely Sunday they'll be quiet uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday they mm. might be a little bit more quiet and then, or a bit more listening a bit more so your clever stuff might work a bit better mm. and then Thursday back to drinking Friday heavy drinking it, it still all works as mm. a normal week but because we're going what day is it today? It's day 14 yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. Yeah, we're not yeah. working on the usual week yeah. um, so I, can, I do still have uh, sometimes when I try out new stuff you know like you said you did a gig with a Mm-hmm. somebody did and it, they're often unlisted and the reason people are unlisted and I sometimes go unlisted I'm not like the person that you were on with last night but sometimes when you're unlisted it's better because you don't get like an audience full of my fans in who are yes. just going to laugh at everything yes, I say. Yes. if I'm trying at new stuff I want it to be it's a bit more of a not discerning is not the wrong way because that sounds like I'm being really mean about my fans and I'm not at all but I want people who are going to go people that you have to win yes yeah and people who will decide whether it's funny or not. And not saying that my fans don't know the difference, but they just already like me and I need yeah. to win well, people What's the difference over. between my brother coming up and telling me a joke and some guy in the street coming exactly, and telling me a joke? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, so that's why you don't go listed. Uh, but sometimes when you're unlisted, you step out mm-hmm. and people will go, oh, or you know, they hear your name and they get excited, sure. but then there are definitely other people who go, oh, I hate her. That's interesting. Because yeah, they've seen you on the yeah. telly and they wouldn't have... They might not necessarily have booked to come to this gig if they'd known you were on. Sure. I'm well aware that there are people who really hate me, who don't just, you know, and I think hate is a really odd word, but I get, you know, people tell me that they hate me on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. And it's a really odd thing, like nobody, it's, I don't think people are as, 
is mean about actors or musicians or no. painters. People no. don't ever go, oh my God, Jackson Pollock, I bloody hate him. Mm. They just would not bother going to see an exhibition. Or Yes, it's, it's, I think it, it must be to do with the, the thing that you as a comic give to people, which is that you make them lose control of themselves. Mm. That currency is so precious and so valuable that if you offer it to someone and say, I'm a comedian, and then don't make them laugh, they hate you. Yes. Do you know what I mean? They're because like, you, but you said you were going to be incredible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of worse than just being a crap indie band, isn't it? It's not, you know. Yeah, because it's a bit, it's less offensive to be a crap indie band. Yes, maybe. Yes. I don't Whereas, know. oh no, I think that's right. It feels to that person, it feels offensive. I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. There are comics, um, not ones that I know particularly, but there are comics out there who who I really can't stand, who are just like, oh, it's, you know, you see someone, you might go, oh, this is cheap, it's awful, it's obvious, mm, all those yes. sort of things. And and then you meet them maybe after a gig and, and you go, oh, no, you're just like me, you're, you're just, just up there person. risking yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, but even then, if you watch, I'll watch people and go, it's not my cup of tea. But the audience are laughing and you can't then deny, you can't say that somebody's yeah. not funny. You can just say that it's not your taste. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So, so I can't remember what the question was. What were you talking about? Um, you were saying about... Oh, about, about sometimes struggling. Yes. So sometimes if I come out at a new material night, it can go, it can be hard mm-hmm. because there are people who, and I, I, it's that thing of, do they really hate me or am I just looking and reading things into their faces? Um, but I think... Maybe I am, but I think we all do that a little bit, that we look and go, oh, he doesn't like me. Or, like, um, I heard from another comic where sometimes if people lean into each other while they're on, yeah. when chances are they're going, I'm going for a wee in the break, yes. or they're going, do you want a gin and tonic? Yeah. Uh, that comic thought that they were saying, isn't he shit? Yeah, of course. And I yeah. think we all have a bit of that, where if somebody heckles, you immediately think they're going, you're shit, when really they're just going... <coughs> Did you cough there? Did you cough your shit? Do you personally have any kind of strategies as to what to think in those situations? Like, because I imagine the way you seem to operate in the world when seven years ago, when we did, uh, so you think you're funny. So you think you're funny. Ah, that was was a good year. We were a good year. There's a lot of good people from that year. A lot of good people. Joe Wilkinson and Kevin Kevin Bridges. Bridges. And Kevin didn't place, did he? No. No. No, because Joe was third, I was second. And Tom Allen was Tom first, Allen but was thought first. he was third because Julian Carey read the piece of paper upside down. Yes. So I, I sort of felt like I won because I knew the best I could possibly do would be second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last one that was announced was second. <laughs> no, well, there we go. That's exactly <laughs> my point. Because to come and say, well, I, I felt that I got one because I knew I was second. That's so typical of your mentality. <laughs> I know a lot of the people that listen to this uh, are newer comics mm. and uh, recently I've had a couple of emails and conversations which have expressed um, uh, the the same thing which is it's all very well all these comedians saying and then I turn pro and they're all going but how? How do you do that? So I'm, I'm trying to I, I'm not asking you that okay. question necessarily but I think I'm trying can, to put more like. of a, a Okay then we'll start with that How How did you or how does one turn from being a uh, a comedian who's got a day job to being a comedian who, who can just do comedy. Something that was said to me at the time, which I think is very true, is that it, there's never a comfortable time to make the leap. It's never, you're never, you never got like money in the bank and sure. going, I can pay three months of my bills with it. It's never comfortable. It's always a risk. But it sort of feels, there's a day when it feels right. 
prior to that, in order to get to that point, you have to be funny. Mm-hmm. And you have to work incredibly hard. I worked at, I don't mean working hard, like I know nurses and doctors and firemen work a lot harder than we do. I know that their job is harder. I'm not an idiot. But I do know that this is the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And sometimes, because it, it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time, because I love my job. And that's why I'm not very good at taking time off because it's easy to take time off from a job where you clock in, you clock out and you go, I'll get two weeks off every year. I'm going to go on holiday to Spain. But if you have a job that you love, it's hard to go, I still need a day off from it. It's still, you know. But I used to, some of my peers, I think, were working, were doing sort of one or two gigs a month. And I would do uh, three or four a week. Mm. And I, because I was... Because I got divorced and moved in with my parents when I started doing stand-up. So my outgoings were quite small, quite mm. low. And I dropped down to 25 hours a week instead of 40 at work so that I could have a bit more flexibility. So my outgoings were like my board to my mum and dad and my phone bill. Mm. So I could spend the rest on train tickets and bus tickets and hotels or more uh, realistically staying on people's sofas and things mm. in the beginning um, sometimes treat myself to a travel lodge if I didn't know anybody in that area but I, I slept on so many sofas um, so what I did with my diary as well is if I did three gigs in a week I may, I put three gigs in a week so if I looked at my diary and I had like four gigs to do that week I would actively get because when you're doing open spots it's easy to get them mm-hmm. I think it is maybe there's a lot more comics now than they used to I be think is that, that what's coming up the case, okay. yeah. well in, in my day yeah. back in the day when I was a child um, it was quite easy because they don't have to pay you mm-hmm. they're happy to just you know pad the bill out with people who are learning the trade so I could quite easily get four gigs put in in my diary for further down the line and I never had anything less than 50 gigs in my diary at any one time mm-hmm. that's how I worked it and it really worked because I never look at, you know, I think people look at their diary sometimes and go, I've got nothing in. Mm. Never happened. Never had anything less than 50. Because if I did three that week, I booked three, three in. But maybe there are more. If Sorry, are what, more, what do you mean? If you did three that week, you booked three in. Like every time you did one, you'd book another one in for the end of yeah. the. So I look at my diary okay. and say, I've got four gigs in this week. I need to book four gigs um, in the future. For in, the future. Yeah, yeah, not I that understand. Week. No, no, no. I Sorry. Um, okay. um, yeah. So. I would email 10 people and hopefully get four gigs or whatever off the mm. back of that. And they could be six months down the line. It doesn't matter when they are. It means my diary okay. still has 50 gigs in it and your diary is never ending. So that was the trick. I used to go into my day job an hour earlier than I needed to be there because I didn't have a computer. So I'd go in and I'd just do that kind of, you know, that morning pages that people talk about where yes. they just, like a stream of consciousness every yes. morning. So I'd go in at eight, start at nine, didn't clock in till nine, but went in. I had an agreement with my boss that they said I could come in earlier and sat at the computer and just wrote for an hour. And I've still got some of those, like, printed off. I'd yeah. print it off and delete it, obviously, off the system. Yeah. And then I would have a look. And still, out, some of my very early bankers came from me just rambling. Because... Okay. I was going through a divorce. I was living back with my parents. There was a lot of stuff going on in my head sure. and it was quite a nice release to get it out of my system anyway. And then if a joke came off the back of it, then brilliant. So that was something that I did. But I just, I worked really, really hard. I think, I think, I think comedy throws off the people who, if it's like a book, somebody described it once to me like a book and Bronco and it throws yeah. off the people that just don't put the work in. Yeah. Not necessarily the, un, the non-funny people. There are people working who aren't particularly funny but work really hard yeah. and make a living off the back of it. And yeah. you know what? Power to them. Because it's harder for them. So I think the, the way you become pro is by 
showing everybody what you can do but in the process learning how to do it so you you nobody's brilliant at the beginning you might have a natural talent but you don't know how to play every room and I think that's mm. part of the job um, my second gig uh, my first one was pretty good my second one rocked but then probably third and fourth were meh you know mm. and it's not about being f- it's it's it, it's partly about being funny but it's partly about being able to work any room and being able to make your jokes work in any room I remember when I did the new comedy awards for the BBC Dara O'Brien was comparing and he said what's your like number one ambition and I think some people in might say I want to get the telly or mm. I want to be an actress or I want to tour I want DVDs or, and I said I want to be able to play every room I wanted to be able to go into a room with four people above a pub that has uh, you know a, a you know a pool table over there none of them have paid they don't really want you and make them piss themselves mm. but equally be able to stand on a stage at Hammersmith Apollo and it's sold out and you make them piss themselves I just want to be able to play any room any hard rooms I want to be able to do that and I think I got I got to that point where I could I don't know, arrogant to say that I can play every room because I don't think I can but because I think I came off the circuit as I was learning how to do the really hard ones sure um and I don't know, because I don't know, I don't know if I'd be able to go into a hard room now because they they treat me differently. They're looking at yeah. me like that's that woman off the telly. We love her, we hate her, rather than I don't get judged on my just my jokes anymore. I get judged on what their preconceived idea of me is. So sure. I don't know if I'd ever test that again. I don't think I can legitimately. Sure. Unless I changed my face. <laughs> <laughs> that might work. <laughs> Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Do you sit down and write for a certain number of hours a week? Did you ever? Well, I mean, obviously that's, we just sort of started to touch yeah, on that yeah. with that early morning yeah. thing, which I think is already a brilliant tip because I certainly, when I had an office job for a, a very little while in my transitional mm. phase... I would try and do the jokes after work. Uh, that's not going to work, is it? I never thought well, to go in earlier and get all that morning energy and all the rest of it. It's the morningness, but yeah. also it's the fact that you can then sit at job that you feel unused in, and and not that the people that I worked with were lovely and were great, and and um, but. F- to feel sort of frustrated and untapped and all of those things that a lot of people feel in a job. But knowing that you've just done an hour of writing, mm. you can sit at a desk for eight hours and answer phones or type or whatever you have to do because you've potentially written a couple of jokes that when you get the metro to the Chillingham Arms, like I used to do in uh, in Newcastle, I did it. It was a new material night that Gavin Webster used to run and I did it seven weeks in a row and that's how I got from my 10 to my 20. 
okay. I did seven minutes seven weeks in a row okay. and I sometimes wrote it on the way in on the metro and I tried it out and generally it would start off with the seven minutes there'd be um, a minute of gold is cocky yeah. a minute of good stuff yeah. that worked straight away mm-hmm. then there might be three or four minutes of stuff that had potential but wasn't there yet and then the rest is dirge mm-hmm. um, it got better over the years now my I can write 20 minutes of, of new stuff and 15 will work and it's just because of being better at ditching stuff early on so I don't try the stuff that okay. I think like I think it's, I'm just better at knowing what works and better at knowing what I how I can tell a joke but in the early days I'd go up and there'd be one minute but if there's one minute out of seven I'm sure. really happy with that that's great yeah. so that's how I used to write so I'd go into work early and I'd type and type and type and then I'd happily sit for seven or eight hours while I did something that paid my train fares mm-hmm. largely to mm-hmm. Lincoln or wherever <laughs> random places but now I'm not I'm not as good as I should be I busk is not the right word I, I do work really hard but I tend to always be making notes mm-hmm. um, as soon as sept- especially September is my oh my god I've got to write another show it's, I don't start it in March I start it in September I start mm-hmm. making notes in September but it's just constantly making little scribbly notes in notebooks and sending texts to myself and sometimes if I say something funny my boyfriend will text me the the th- funny thing that I said because mm-hmm. he doesn't he, I think it's all about harnessing it because it's quite easy to go all oh, right that down later on and of course what happens later on it's gone yeah. it's gone yeah, it's totally, gone totally, and no matter way. no matter how long you've been doing this this still, still goes I don't think I'm any better at retaining information now as I was then so I still have to scribble it down one, one of the uh, one of the questions that someone tweeted was uh, if you think of an idea during sex do you trust it to memory or do you stop and then make a little note you don't have to answer that, but I can see from your which, face what the answer is. Depends which bit of the sex. <laughs> I think. I think it's totally fine to pause during foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. There we go. That's an answer. That's. Oh, uh... it is, but I think funny ideas don't happen during the the main the main crux. Bit. Yeah. Because I'm not really thinking about funny thoughts. If I am, that's a bad relationship, isn't it? And I'm, so I'm not. I'm. But if, it, if something occurs to me early, early doors, <laughs> I will make a note of it. Maybe you could just. I don't know. This is. You might have to edit this out. <laughs> Maybe you could just ask a <laughs> if you could just. It's all I want. Uh, no, I, th- um, I thought you were going to say something like maybe you could just write it on his back oh, no. The, no, <laughs> but no 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 it was much worse than that sorry <laughs> um, I'm quite rude um, so so I make notes constantly yeah and, and, when, and when you're making those notes are you just should I show you should I show you an yeah yeah absolutely brilliant Let's have a look but are you turning them into jokes at that time or is September just krill just get all the stuff well just it's not even just September it's pretty much 12 months of the year I make little notes um so I've got a little notebook here um and what they'll be is some enough that will remind me of a story or Mm -hmm. an idea so it might just be three words but they won't necessarily it won't be a sentence it might just be three words and those three words remind me of that thing that I said about the thing that actually made me laugh because it has to make me laugh because if it doesn't make me laugh I've got nowhere to go you know yeah Yeah. Um, so can you give us an example yes um I was talking to my mum on the phone. My mum and dad are on holiday, 
and I was talking to my mum on the phone and you know how sometimes when you're on the phone to somebody but there's somebody else in the room you sometimes say things to them so you'll sort of I'll be yeah. say, if, say if I answered my phone now I'll be talking to them but then you might say oh can I get something out of the fridge and I'll go yeah yeah it's fine but then yeah. I'm still talking to I was talking to my mum and my dad was in the background and my mum just said not with that hand you won't and I just have no idea why that made me laugh so much I don't want to know what that's linked to because my mind is already yeah. working overtime so I don't know if that'll end up but I've just written down not with that hand dash mum Okay, and that so, then, me of that. so let's follow that idea then. What what do you do next to that bit? Do you sit and write around it? Do you just take it on stage and say it and improvise you around see, it? I one of your, I think it was your Ben Norris podcast. I was very interested when you said, I think it was you that said it rather than Ben, that sometimes by um, sort of vocalise, verbalising an idea, you it's more funny things come out of telling somebody about it than writing it down. Yeah. Yeah, you said that, didn't you? I think you? so, yeah. So if I write that down and try and write a joke around it, it's not as easy than if I just talk about it to somebody. Or I don't know, if maybe it doesn't even need the person. Maybe I just should do it in the flat on my own. But I tend to... That'll stay there until I've got a new material night. All that notes will stay. And then on the new material day, I will shit myself all day and write for like two hours literally pulling together all of these little bits mm-hmm. and tighten them all up and actually go and write what we got and not not having any idea still not can't time it still have no idea and if will you be is, typing up just those three words or will you be typing up probably, the story out well typing up probably just what I often use is index cards because the reason I use index cards is when I start when I do new material if it's on paper it rattles because I'm nervous Yeah. Okay. but if I use cardboard it's like someday I'll use like wood it <laughs> gets gradually thicker I'll just be there with a slate with my jokes on it and I will probably write that what I've written in my notepad yeah. on the slate on the, on the slate on the slate well, think of them as the slates from now on it's Millican's second law of uh, <laughs> on the index card so yeah. I'll write that on the index card and then I will leave a, a little gap and then I'll write the next one and then leave a little gap and then I'll write the next one. And then while I'm backstage, I'll sort of try and add extra bits, extra more, like words that might okay. spark off. And do you, do you feel that what that suggests to me, and this might be the thing that I'm putting on it, but I find the pressure of a gig, like the pressure of telling a human being, activates your mind in a different yes. way. So you're yeah. actually coming up with more things and than you could do if you were just sat in your Exactly, flat. on my own, just typing. Mm. Um... And I don't know if it's a better way of working, but it seems it seems to be working. So, mm. you know, it seems to work now. Um, and what normally happens at a new material night is if I do what I think is the punchline and they don't laugh, I naturally improvise an alternative punchline. Yeah. Because I don't like that bit when they go, oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that bit. So I have to make sure that I'm fully rested before I try new material. I have to make sure that I've eaten properly and I've drunk water and I've slept well. Because if I go up, I did, I did, and I, did, I always do my first Edinburgh preview in February at the Leicester Comedy Festival mm. because it makes me panic. Because it's February and I go, I've only got 20 minutes. And then I go, it's February, I've got 20 minutes, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a full it's hour. It's all mental games with yourself, isn't it? It to is, go, it yeah, is. Okay. To trick yourself into this is fine. So if I, I know exactly where I am in February, so I know either, oh God, I'm going to have to haul ass and get loads of work done, or I'm actually, this is coming along at a mm. nice pace. 
I did an Edinburgh preview in Leicester a couple of years ago when I had the most chronic toothache. I've never really been a, a, a big sufferer of toothache, but I had the most horrific, horrific toothache, toothache. I'd had some work done, and it. this is by the by, but basically, as I found out later on, I needed three lots of root canal while I was going through this pain. Oh, my God. And I was on a lot of painkillers and also this gel that you rub on your gums when you're teething, right? This is... Okay. So I was rubbing it on and going on stage, sometimes in tears before the gig because it was so awful. And I had this new material like, in the middle of it all. I remember booking myself into a hotel in Leicester. I only live in Manchester. That's a drive. That's an mm. easy drive. I would never... Booked myself in the hotel because I needed to get in and just calm down because I was in uh, tense and in agony and I I remember being at five to eight the gig was a two minute walk from from there I at five to eight I was still curled up in like the fetal position Mm. in this pain went long did the gig and every time I did a joke that didn't work and they went now I went okay number four because I had nothing yeah. I had nothing else. To, there yes, was no I see. Spark. You weren't you weren't overreaching. And this is yeah, why I okay. have to make sure that I'm well rested and I've slept yes. and I'm you know and I've eaten properly and I've looked after myself because that's when I'm funny. It's like whenever I do a TV thing, if it's a case of I've got five hours to do prep for this, do I do five hours or do I do four hours and have an extra hour sleep? So always the extra hour sleep because I will okay. be a lot of the stuff that I'll see in a panel show is off the cuff and off banter off other people mm. and what they've said. And I have to be fully rested in order for that part of my brain to kick in. Sure. So I could do five hours of prep for a panel show or three hours and have an extra two hours sleep. And that's much more beneficial because I won't have as much stuff on paper, but I'll have a better functioning you, brain. Yes. OK. So that's when I do. So it'll go. So then I record, always record my new material nights. Always okay. record them. Yeah. Um, and, and you always listen to the recordings? Not always. No? Okay. <laughs> when, when you do 28 previews and sometimes it's four in a week, it's hard to I listen know, to another hour because yeah. you can't listen while you're driving because you've got to make notes of it. But I, what I often do as well is, is recording it. Is, you're recording it really in case anything amazing happened that you can't remember. But often if you make notes as soon as you come off, yeah. then uh, you get most of it down. And I sometimes make notes as I go. Just really rude, but uh, but if they know it's a new material night and they're yeah. not paying anything to see anybody, yeah, then sure. they don't mind. And I'll just make, and it might just be one word where I've thought of an extra topper or whatever. But I do sometimes listen, especially if it's ten minutes. If it's a ten minute new material, night, I'll listen to that easy. But mm. if it's an hour, sometimes it's hard to to fit it in. Um, and then it's very rare that my jokes get typed up in full now because mm. then that goes from that goes into an hour show or an, a two hour show or whatever, an hour and a half show. And it'll still just be, that'll still be hand ma'am that'll be known as on my big full list of jokes. So I sort of kind of write on stage now compared Mm. to I used to write and fully form a joke and it would be word for word and then I would read it off Mm. and then it would work or it wouldn't work. And I kind of go on with a rough idea of what it is. And by describing it and talking around it, around an idea... I usually get five or six more punchlines off the back of it, and sure. it's really effective. But I think that's just because I'm better on stage than I used to be. Mm. I think because I always think that's well, all comics can be divided into writers who perform or performers who write. Mm-hmm. I was always a writer who performed. I think there's only see, I think I was going to say Kitson, but Kitson's still a writer who performs. Mm. I think all comics can be divided so it was always the performance that was always the hard thing that I had to bring up to the level of my writing because I'd been writing since I was 17 in one kind or another local newspaper columns or short films or whatever so and then I think the people who are amazingly funny performers need to crack on with their writing to bring that up to the level of their performance so 
I've never really worried about my writing so much as my performance. The writing's always... It's not come naturally... It's really cocky to say that, but it is something I find easier than yes. standing on a stage. It's always the bit that makes me slightly uncomfortable. Okay, okay. Is that weird? Yes, no, not at all. I, I think that's, that's probably very true about the different types of performer there are. I mean, rather like in uh, my first uh, show with Rob Deering, the first interview mm. I did, when he was talking about, you know, he said, in a week I normally won't do any writing. I won't sit down and do any writing. Yeah. And I started imagining this kind of halcyon future of going, oh, I imagine I wouldn't stress out during the day. And I would like, I love writing, but I spend most of my day putting off writing. And that makes me anxious and unhappy. We and now I, I, so it makes me feel like what you do is... You might not get up and write for your stand-up in the day, but if you've done the rest of the work at the other times, you've done all of the note-taking, you've done all of the thinking about yes. the notes, you've done all of the prep on the way to the gig, you've done the gig as often as possible, and you do the, the work after the gig making the notes, yeah. I kind of find that I get stressed during the day, I eventually do the writing, and then I go to the gig, I do the stuff, it works or it doesn't, and then I go, oh, I've been working all day, I'll relax now. Yes, so I'm sort of, sort of, un- sort of always slightly writing if that yes, makes sense because yes. if anything funny happens or if I say anything funny or if I have a funny idea or if I read a bit in a newspaper and I think oh that, that could make that work into a joke or whatever I make a little note of it so it's always constantly there but I very rarely it's only if I'm writing a script and mm. that is when I'm an absolute bitch I am such a horrible person when I'm writing a script I get tense I cry I scream I'm a horrible horrible person and that's because you're faced with the tyranny of the blank page yeah. and having to fill it and so all of your systems are out the window and, because and you just must minute, do it yeah. I've, I've written scripts that have to be performed the next day mm. for a recording. I've written them that day for the next day. Mm. I've stayed up. <laughs> I went through some horrible times on the first tour. When I... I did a gig in uh, Norwich. No, I did a gig in Aberdeen. I flew from Aberdeen to Norwich to do Frank Skinner's Opinionated. Mm. And then I stayed up all night and then got to, to write my script, got a train to London to record the script. I have not gone to bed, got a train to London, vomited on the train, and the BBC, uh, the, my producer said, we'll get you somewhere, we can have a lie down. So I had a lie down for an hour, mm. and then I did the recording. And I never want to... So when I'm on tour, I try not to have any writing projects hanging over me, because that is horrific, to be doing a tour show, then flying then like, and not getting much sleep that night flying and then writing all day and then doing a, a TV record yeah. and then and I did everything to the best as I as I possibly could for where I was at that's why I don't like taking writing projects on because I know what I get like and I know it's better if I just go right we're going to write for a month and that's all we're going to do we're not going to do any shows in the evening we're yes, just going to okay. write for the month yeah. because it's too I find writing much more stressful than, than performing okay. I actually feel my stomach knotting at the thought of having to sit down and write Yes. Um, so do you think now you're a performer who writes? It's kind of shifted because now you're that comfortable on no, stage. No, I just... You're... But I, I, I still write, but I just scribble constantly. Yeah. And I think... It, I find it much easier. It means when it comes to, like, February to do, like, the Leicester Comedy Festival, I quite easily have an hour. It's not an hour of good stuff, but it's an hour of stuff. Yeah. And I, I sort of feel like... I've, I have this romantic idea. I think it's because I used to write plays and... And I wanted to be a film director and I wanted to write film scripts. I have this romantic idea of sitting in cafes and writing. Mm. I have a few friends who do that and I'm very jealous of them. And I think I need to find a cafe that I can sit and write and just have like tea and milkshakes and mm. things. 
but I don't know how much work you get done there. Yes, uh, Adam having... says you have to you have to cafe hop. So you have to go from one to another to another to another to another. So you're always in a new place with new stimulation. Oh, okay, that's like interesting. That. But I do. That's something I want to do over the next few months when my diary's not as busy is sit in cafes and write because it's this this romantic idea of that's you know that's where ideas come from when they don't they come from my ideas come from me living mm. a bit of a normal life and seeing my friends yeah because sometimes my the only funny ideas I have are you know related to dressing rooms <laughs> or, <laughs> yes or, well this is it this is a hotels. common problem isn't and it I, yeah. you know I, I I believe in staying in nice hotels when you can afford it and mm. I can afford it I've worked really hard I've stayed on many a sofa I've stayed in many a travel lodge and now I can afford a nice hotel and I think it's more important to treat yourself really well and to make sure that you've slept well and you do a good job yeah. because potentially 2,000 people have paid 20 quid a year ago yeah. I can't be shit tonight yes so I make sure that I sleep well and that I have a tour manager now which I didn't I only had for the second half of the first tour so I don't do any driving and it is a very it's hard because you're away from home for long periods of time mm-hmm. and it's it's hard in that you never really settle anywhere you never really unpack but it's not it's much easier than it was when I was doing driving for six hours doing a two hour show and then driving for six hours sure. it's much easier than that and I'm very lucky to be able to afford all of that sort of thing but I sort of I kind of miss the oh I'm stuck somewhere for six hours I go and sit in a cafe and write because yes. I don't I'm never stuck anywhere now no, and I sort okay. of miss that do you know yeah. what I mean I miss the romantic idea of what a writer is probably more what a poet is I don't want to be a poet but do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, an idea of that um, oh you know I can't afford my heating so I'll go and sit in a cafe yes. you know where yes. realistically I can sit in my flat and write here just as well but I just I kind of I want to sit in a cafe and write it's ridiculous talking about the um the way you write, there's this system for putting things in the notebook and then getting them onto yes. the page. It seems like a, a kind of a reactive system. Things happen, you make yeah. a note. I, I do you ever try, and, and I know you don't write theme shows anymore, but no. do you ever pick a subject and go, right, I'm going to do that? No, and I want to, I really want to, because I've, the last two shows I've done by just gathering. So it's yes. gathering, if I say something funny or I say something funny or I say something to somebody, one of my friends, and they say something funny and then we have a bit of banter. And it's good if your friends aren't comedians because then you can go, can I have that? Well, yeah. If they're comedians, we have to tussle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and, uh, and if I have conversations with my family, my family are generally hilarious. Uh, so that works. Or if funny things happen to me, or I think of funny things. But generally, I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write some stuff about dogs. I sure. don't know if I can do that. I must be able to, because when I do panel shows, or when I do... Uh, when we did the TV series, you're writing to a subject, which I'd never done before. Mm. I'd never written to a subject. And I found it quite a good... It's quite stimulating, but also quite a good um, sort of pressure to put yourself under, to go, I have to write some jokes about costume drama or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, where normally I just go, oh, that's a funny thing that my dad said. I'll say that. And that sure. you know, and I'll, I'll write around it and I'll funny him up. Although yeah. he is normally really funny, but sometimes yeah. he goes, oh, I was really funny in that thing. And you think, yeah, I did tweak it, dad. But yeah, yeah, I did put eight <laughs> tags on top yeah, of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did some work. Yeah. Um, but I really want to sit down and, and have an idea rather than a joke. I've always got a punchline mm-hmm. and I work around the punchline. But mm. what I'd like to do is go, I'd like to write some stuff about the fact that, uh, for example, I don't want children. I've written some stuff about that, but maybe the fact that I... Because I think it's one of the final taboos to stand mm. on stage as a woman in her 30s and say, I don't want children. So not, mm. not that I can't have them, but that I don't want them. I, I think you can 
you can get away with jokes about anything as long as you're coming at it from the right angle. So you don't write misogynistic or racist or homophobic jokes, but you can write jokes about those things. Yes. That as long as they're coming in from a good angle, from a good, as yeah. in good as in, I don't mean good as in not uh, not a bad joke. I mean good as in uh, wholesome yes. in a way. Yes. Um, you can, uh, honest and, and uh, from a, the viewpoint of a nice person, I suppose, an honourable person, you can write jokes about anything. But I think still when I say on stage, somebody, I said, I don't want kids um, I don't really like kids and somebody booed in a tour show somebody one Ooh. man but it's quite okay. uh, the confidence of a man who boos assuming that everybody's going to follow suit and they all don't is yeah. quite funny in itself <laughs> boo a boo on its own isn't scary but no. it did make me think I wasn't going to do some slightly harsher stuff about kids and I thought well you've just made me want to do that yeah right absolutely so I brought out all the big guns you know people will be strategically booing now when we do something a bit edgy let's get get it fired up yeah (laughs) it really does as soon as somebody says I don't think you're right Mm -hmm. like there's something wrong with me because I don't want kids that makes me go all right okay well it's you know because there's a lot of people who think like me so so I've I need to write more to order a little bit and I need to sit down a bit more and write a bit more and I need to do it in cafes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. That's that's why a good plan. I, I'm Because I like eating, so why not do kill two birds with one stone? <laughs> <laughs> Which circuit comics, when you were still on the circuit, inspired you? Which people did you see and think? Of course, the question I'd really like to ask is, which ones did you hate? But that's another time. I'll that in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, but which ones did you... inspired you in terms of either their work ethic or their their approach to the gig or the stuff they were doing or their courage or something? I like to watch comics who could play a hard room without any tricks. Now, uh, every you know, we all have sort of bankers and whatnot but some you know some weekend clubs employ people who are not just straight stand-ups so they use they are they are funny and they work very hard mm-hmm. but they might also um uh, do music or they might do or they might have a cd back and track where they do a bit mm-hmm. of funny stuff to it and they're often quite crowd pleasing and stuff that are massively effective mm-hmm. and you can't blame them at all because they mm. they work brilliantly in those rooms. Or some people do sort of magic-y stuff and, what, you know, and, and everywhere has its place. But I am impressed by those who just used words, who could control a room that I would look and go, this is going to be really hard and thank God I'm only opening a middle end mm. because by the time the closer goes on, they're going to be shit-faced. Mm. And they would just use words and I was always impressed by the bottle of those people. Sean Collins, for example, I saw close a really rowdy jungler sitting on a fucking stool. Yeah. <laughs> what was yeah. that? Yeah. The confidence of the man. Isn't it great? And it's slow. His love, I love his accent. He's got a lovely slow sort of laconic delivery mm. and had them in the palm of his hand and mm. it was really impressive. Um, I did a weekend, a whole week of uh, Edinburgh uh, weekend clubs at Christmas like the uh, sort of rowdy Christmas gigs and you know the Christmas Christmas is a horrible time for comedians because it's all Christmas parties where two of them have gone let's go to comedy and the other 88 have been dragged along (laughs) and I've seen people get you know um, bread rolls thrown at them 
you know, or you, it's when you come out and you see they've all got the party hats on and they've all got their those party things that curl up the end where they're called and you think oh this is going to be horrible and then somebody comes in and says everybody just do 15s and you all go yay <laughs> I once instigated that I once, said, I once said to the show manager that's looking you know we're starting late it's looking Hadn't rowdy I guess, be, yeah. I guess you want us just to do 15s and it was quite a new um, yeah. show manager who went good idea and as he left the, all the other comics high five me <laughs> you're welcome um, and Craig Campbell was closing all week mm. and he was there was actually the hardest night he didn't have um, anywhere near as hard a time as the rest of us because the uh, uh, I would say two thirds to three quarters of the audience were from one company mm. and uh, they were rowdy and weren't listening and they were a horrible audience and the security staff couldn't there were too many for the security mm. staff to get rid of them all so what they did was they waited until anybody went to the loo and they just didn't let them back in. Oh, so, very good. And because they were drinking... I thought really this was gonna, this story was going to end with... And the, what Craig Campbell was doing is... He's a one-man security <laughs> team. They just They kept... So that they, two, two blokes or women mm. would go to the loo hammered. Because they were drinking so much, they were going to the loo quite a lot. And just they just kicked them kick out. Mm. So gradually, by the time Craig went on, actually, on this particular night, there was a third of the room full, but of lovely people who lovely. wanted to come to the company. So on that night, he had a nice time. But the rest of the week... Because um, I remember that night... Um, Simon Bly was in the middle and uh, I was opening and he came over to me in an adorable uh, sort of fatherly kind of way even though there's probably only 10 years between us and said do you want me to go on first and I said I just want to get the fucker out of the way (laughs) (laughs) because I thought this isn't going to get better as the night goes on I'm going to have this probably the easiest job and and as it turns out they'd all gone by the time Mm. the break was so Mm. Craig Campbell had these but Craig for the, the whole week with nothing but words just was amazing at at Christmas gigs at horrible horrible Christmas gigs where they're talking and they're eating and they don't really want you to be there uh, and, and do you a- remember what it was what aspect that it was I mean I know he's doing a million different things at once but what do you think it was that that made that experience work so much that it's made just it so experience and knowing which joke you start on to make them go oh mm-hmm. rather than make them go oh you know I think it's just experience. It's just he probably didn't enjoy it any more than I enjoyed mine because no. he was foot on the gas probably all the way through. Sure. You know, you can't leave a gap because that's when somebody pops up their head up. I always think they're a little bit like um, like the meerkats because they just pop their head up. I did one once where um, oh god, it was one of those gigs where you think if I trip over a word at any mm. point during mm. this, that somebody's they're gonna they're fucking gonna have eat, me. Eat you alive, yeah. And as I was busy thinking that, I tripped over a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Constantly on the job in hand Milliken. and I tripped her over a word and all I said was oh that'll be all those cocks I've been sucking and everybody went and back down again <laughs> thank god for that so um, who else um, uh, Gavin Webster I think is very good yeah um, it was I think it was all the headliners while I was doing supports and opening and middle and all of the headliners because you look and you go I'll never be as good as that I remember mm. doing I died once at this has just become a podcast all about my deaths but I died once at uh, Leicester a gig in Leicester when I was opening Tom Steed was in the middle yeah. and Jim Jeffries was closing wow I died Tom Steed struggled for his first 10 to 12 minutes and yeah. then got them and then they were okay for him and you know yeah. how good Tom Steed is he's awesome and then Jim Jeffries properly won them over and it was a real there was one woman in the audience who had decided she wasn't she decided she wasn't going to like him and he it didn't bully her at all but just was determined you could see he was determined to make her laugh and by the end she was pissing herself and it was just a really skillful job that he did and I liked watching people nailing an easy room 
is you sort of come off and go brilliant yeah. that was great I feel yeah, great yeah. I'm funny hooray I've got at my job but nailing it turning a room around yes. from they hate me or they're not listening or you know to this is now a playable room like sometimes you know you go on first or maybe because I don't really compare but you know when you compare you go on and you make it a playable room from an unplayable room and that feels like you've really done a good job mm. you've worked your arse off and you've made it a playable room for the rest of the night I think I think that's one of the skills <laughs> So, what kind of comic did you think you'd be when you started out? Did you have you turned into the sort of comic you anticipated being? Because I, I think I think you've. Well, I won't say what I think. I'll let you answer that. Question. I think I've softened. Uh, I was harsher in the beginning. My first my first gig that I ever did ended up, ended with a joke that I wouldn't do now. Couldn't get away with it now. There's can, something... you, can you tell us what the joke was? No. <laughs> possibly tell you the joke. Um, it was very harsh. And... I think I remember it. I remember the existence of a harsh joke, but I can't remember the Oh, one. there was a few. Yeah. <laughs> I think... I can't... I can't... I don't know if I have become a comic that is just a bit more accessible and a bit more public friendly because I wanted to be that or because I've just aged and mm. have realised that you can I don't I don't mind offending a whole room but I don't want to offend one person. So if I do a joke about something mean about kids and there's somebody in the audience who's lost a child I would be mortified that the thought that I had offended them. But I'll quite easily do a joke that makes the, something about spunk or something it makes the whole room go oh oh just said that happy to do that yeah but for one person to feel horrible in that room is not my job mm. everybody should feel nice um so I think I've got older and maybe that's why I'm not as I've got a bit of an edge I can still like I quite liked on the series when I was interviewing I quite liked being a little bit mean to the guests because it was always in a cheeky way but I could mm. be quite mm. sort of sharp and um, sort of bitchy's not the right word but a little bit catty maybe um, and because I'm a nice person and because I think they knew that it was coming from a nice place they yeah. sort of, and also we always had guests on who were willing to go along with the ride and, and knew that it was a comedy show it's not a chat show um, but I think I've become the comic that I don't know what I wanted to be I think I just wanted to be, I wanted it to be my job. So I guess I have become the comic because it is my job, but I'm not as uh, edgy as I used to be. I was never really that edgy, but I did have a bit of a sharpness about me and I don't think that's there anymore. And I think that's uh, been a, I think it's been an organic change. I think mm. the same as how some people start off one way and gradually fall into whatever they end up being. I think you find out who you are by doing it a lot, but I don't, I think when you play to so many people, be it on a telly where there's millions watching, or be it in a, with an audience with a few thousand, I just I don't want anybody to go away feeling like they've been attacked. And I think if you do a joke, I don't know, because in one of a couple of shows ago, I had a rape joke that was right in the middle of the show, 
but it's about the angle that you come in at and it was actually quite a soft angle it was quite a feminist angle and nobody batted an eyelid nobody I never got a complaint I never got a message from anybody mm. so that trick is if you're going to have a terrible horrific joke put it in the middle because <laughs> you can back it up by another joke so you don't put it in two stuff about cakes because yeah, if, you, yeah if, you, if you finish on it people might leave going oh well I liked the first 55 minutes but that last one and it colours their whole yes, of perception course. of what the show has been yes. like but you, you, you can't walk out whistling a rape joke <laughs> no. can they no um but you see, the thing is about the cakes thing, I've written like four jokes ever about cake, but because they were the ones that were on the chili, sure. you know, and you know, people do that. Um, if you could yes. write a letter to your four or 12 year old self, what you'd, you'd write, and some people would say, don't fall in love with that man or work harder at school. I would say, you're going to be a comic. Don't write any jokes about fucking cake. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw you flinch when I mentioned that. And I'm afraid it's just because I received 30 tweets today about cake. Yeah. But in the same way that Joe Brand was pilloried yeah. for jokes about periods and tampons, they pick up one thing yeah. which reminds me I always used to call you periods Millican to wake <laughs> you up because <laughs> mm. I did so many jokes you did about periods so many jokes yeah somebody That's once collared me and said I have a period driver. joke and I said I don't have any period jokes yeah. and he said oh you know you did and I went you get me mixed up with somebody else you just because I'm a woman he went oh she's probably got period jokes periods aren't funny That's why I'm going to period jokes um, so I don't mm, I'd like to think that I've just evolved into the comic that I am because I've aged and I just don't want to offend anybody. But maybe I've softened. It's one or the other. It's, it's yeah. either that or I've softened because of the way that uh, a, sort of a mass audience uh, mm. makes you behave that way. Because you don't want you want every I, I don't want everybody to like me. I don't. I wouldn't stop being rude, for example. Sure. You can't read really be as rude on the telly. But I'm a little bit rude on the telly. But you can't. I wouldn't stop because I don't. You know because oh, five year olds have to be my fans. I'm no. not bothered about five year olds being my fans. It's comedy. It's for adults. So I'm not really bothered. <laughs> The last thing I was going to ask was if the old plan was to be able to play any room in the country, if that was the goal that you started mm. with, and you said to a certain extent you've you went some way towards completing that, or maybe superseded that being a necessary part of the plan. What's the new plan at the moment? Now that you are a lady who has fingers in many pies, who has all sorts of TV and writing and radio and touring opportunities, you strike me as the sort of person who will somewhere have a mission statement either written down or at the back of your mind. What do you want to do? I think it's it's less a sort of five-year plan of I want to be sure. on series six by then or, you know, I want to always be good. Because I... Somebody said to me, who shall definitely remain nameless, that... Until um, after I turn this machine off. When you're <laughs> successful, you doesn't have to be as good because they come anyway. Yeah. But I... Yeah, they might come to this one, but then they might not come to the one after that oh, if this yeah. one is shit. Yeah. So... I want to always be good because I think just because you're popular doesn't mean you can't be good. Popular is not the same as good. Yes, popularity isn't the goal, is it? And popular gets them in the door. Yeah. Popular, popularity gets them in the door. Uh, quality makes them come back again. Mm. And because you go into bigger and bigger rooms each time or you do more and more nights maybe each time because I don't really fancy um, arenas. Suits some people, but I don't think it suits me. So this is about working out how many nights we go on tour and maybe that it gets extended with each tour or whatever um, so what you need is the people that came to come back and more mm-hmm. each time so therefore I can't ever do a show that's not it's still only my opinion if it's good or not but I can't ever do a show that I'm not really proud of because that might be the beginning of the end so if everything that I do is as good as it can possibly be be it TV be it 
you know, things I do for free that are just for fun or, you know, that I think is that sort of use my brain a little bit more or TV spots on different things. I want everything to be as good as it can possibly be and I don't want to ever think that I can slack enough because I think now is the time that you must continue and, and if you slack enough, I don't think you deserve it. That was my start rumbling there. <laughs> For the rest of the banana. <laughs> like um, your stomach disapproved of what I was saying. So do you want to still be touring? Do you want to be going out and driving four hours to a gig? And Well, like, even if you can stay in a nice hotel now. But do you want to still be out and touring every night? And Not every night. At the moment, I've decided, because I did two, two tours uh, like a, a, a year after each other, and I've decided to do every other year now because... With Edinburgh and previews, because I do like 20 or 30 previews, it means that I'm on the road 10 months of the year and I am 36 and do not own a plant. Mm. And I quite like to have a bit more of roots, I guess, and maybe a pet and maybe a plant and maybe a big milk in my fridge every now and again rather than a one pinter. Oh, at the end of the tour that's I the first thing paying. I do is I buy like a four pinter I never drink at all because I don't really like milk <laughs> I just have it on me frosties and in me tea I can't drink a glass oh but it's a symbol of the end of a tour is buying yeah. a really big milk yeah I'm going so to be home for a bit if every other year I tour so I'm not touring I've got 12 more dates at the end of this year um of this tour and then I'll not be touring again until I'm going to do the Edinburgh Festival next year so it means I have between now and then to do we're doing another series of the TV programme and to maybe maybe go to Australia or you know maybe just bits and bobs that are fun and nice to do and a little bit more living at home and uh, I've got a column in a magazine coming up which I can't tell you what it is yet but maybe by the time this goes out I might be able to tell you um so that sort of thing I'm trying to sort of give myself a bit of work that's in a flat that I can do and still earn money because I know there'll be a time when nobody wants me anymore when you know, they'll be they, it's, and it's not me it's not oh boo hoo you know mm. I, it's the make hay while the sun shines while well, mm. people still find you funny and so on there'll be a time when they go oh it's just you know maybe the industry will change or people's uh, sort of um, um, people's taste will change and I God, won't I'm be I'm just sick of the cake jokes endless <laughs> cake jokes is this time. a show about fucking kids <laughs> so then I still want to have a job so that's why I do I write things and I quite like writing things that I'm not in I like writing things and sending them off and somebody else produces them and makes them in the you know like radio stuff and, and columns and things that I can do and will hopefully still be able to continue while my face is nobody wants to see my face anymore and that's not it's not it's not I don't think it's defeatist I think it's realistic yeah. that I'm not going to be... There's only Joan Rivers and Ken Dodd who are still doing it in their 70s and 80s. Nobody else is still doing it. So the chances of me being one of the two in that time is slim to none. So... I don't know, with your views on the trunk, I can see you trundling on stage up the <laughs> creek in Deptford when you're 75, calling them all pricks. <laughs> well, I mean, but there might be... It might be that I decide I don't want to do on the road anymore and maybe I want to do yeah. other things instead. But so if the the way I'm lengthening my touring time is by doing it every other year because I think if I did it every year I might only do a few more and then go oh god I can't do it anymore. Sure. Wait, if I do it every other year I get a year where I and plus it makes the shows better because the shows are a year and a half in the making instead mm. of being slightly 
shoved out, which they sometimes are. Um, and it means the show can be really, really good. And that is worthy of people's ticket price, you know? I think it's... I can't con- really control ticket prices of things very much, but I can control the quality and length of the show. Mm. So the same with the DVD. I, the first DVD, I couldn't really control how much, because all of the shops charge whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But I can control the extras and how long the show is. and you know, So you can control the product, if not necessarily how much people are paying for it. So you can make sure that it's worth the money that you know somebody's going to charge for it. So... I think the ultimate goal is just to to always be good no matter what you do to make sure that you don't let the quality control slip. We did 111 dates on this tour and in my month break I made a six-part TV series. Oh my God. And that's why I'm having this month off because I'm fucked. But it's lovely just seeing friends and I guess I'm having, you know how a lot of people have two days off a week? Just having them all in a month. <laughs> <laughs> That was my chat with Sarah, but not all of my chat with Sarah. There is another roughly 40 minutes of interesting stuff. Um, How Sarah copes with seeing people in the audience not laughing. Uh, We talk about the interaction with the audience component of her live shows. She's very, very interactive, Sarah. You never just get her up there sort of banging out her stuff. She's really, um, really, and not just chatty as well. But we'll talk about it. It's it's worth downloading Um, because it's not just chatting. It's about asking the right provocative, stimulating questions. And she does go into some detail about how she chooses the questions she asks um there's some tour stories and a horror story about hotels that will stop you the struggling artist from ever using a hotel kettle again uh, and also we're going to be discussing a time that sarah died on stage and uh, and another thing that one one rule uh, one thing you should never do when headlining a gig plus at one point sarah tells me off for being lazy so uh, not not directly but it's worth listening for that so if you would like to get access to those go to comedianscomedian.com backslash sarah s-a-r-a-h of course comedianscomedian.com backslash sarah and uh, fill in the instructions there and you can download the uh, the extra content uh, other little plugs if you've got children i'm doing some some shows with the comedy club for kids um at uh, the Udderbelly in south bank in central london on the 30th of june uh, check the website for details i'm not quite sure what time that one starts that's the 30th of june at the Udderbelly and bristol tobacco factory for all my southwest uh, people at 4 p.m on the 21st of july so come along to that my godson is going to come and see that for his birthday with four or five of his mates and i'm concerned because a lot of my material is to do with him and about him my, my kids material um i'm concerned he is going to basically it's going to turn into like a little seven-year-old stag do so come along and witness that it will be very funny one way or another um Another one for Bristolians, there's a preview of my solo show Prick at the Comedy Box, which is above the Hen and Chicken in Bedminster on the 20th of July. Um, And also tickets for the live version of this show uh, and for my solo show Prick at Edinburgh are now on sale. The links are at the website, comedianscomedian.com. I'm going to release some confirmed guests for that show now. Obviously, not many people are going to buy tickets in advance for the Comedians Comedians show until they know who's on where. So grab a pen and make a note. These are dates for my uh, conversations live in Edinburgh. On Friday the 10th of August, I'll be talking to the incredibly inventive and indeed sweaty DIY sketch outfit Pappies, who just reinvented the genre of sketch. So they're going to be there on Friday the 10th of August. Uh, That's going to be a a lot of fun. I cannot wait for that one. Josh Widdicombe seems to be mastering the art of squeezing every last drop of comedy out of a subject uh, he's really flying at the minute i've just realized that sounds a bit disingenuous doesn't it yeah he takes a not funny idea and squeezes everything out of it that's not what i meant at all josh is excellent i'm sure he'll be familiar to most of you uh, to many of you 
and uh, he is apparently a phenomenally hard worker and I imagine he's got all sorts of writing stuff to talk to us about and even if he doesn't he's definitely going to have interesting things to say sorry Josh this sounds awful (laughs) I'm just very aware Josh texted me and said I mentioned last show that he spends eight hours a day writing and he texted me and went that isn't true I'm going to look like an idiot so I'm I'm uh, I'm extra cautious about offending him or or worrying him and as a result I've uh, I've now uh, made things worse a classic Goldsmith move on Sunday the 12th of August it's Abandaman uh, Rob Broderick from the hip hop impro rappers Abandaman will be talking about the act of spontaneous creation of writing that happens the split second you think of it all these dates please note are, they are confirmed the artists have told me those are definitely the dates but they are subject to change at the last minute Edinburgh can be quite difficult with last minute commitments and someone gets nominated for a thing and then they can't make it and stuff like that but, um, but I think those ones will probably all stay uh, fixed in the book. So Pappy's on the 10th, Josh Whittacombe on the 5th, and Abandaman on the 12th. Still to be released, dates for The Boy With Tape On His Face, for Terry Alderton and the wonderful Sarah Pascoe. I'm trying to get Eddie Pepitone on the show. If anyone knows Eddie Pepitone, make him be on this show, please. I would love to speak to the Bitter Buddha about uh, his work. He's going to be at the Edinburgh Festival, so sell that show out. It's, he's he's going to be incredible, um, and I'm going to try and get him on the show. Have a look through the Edinburgh Fringe Guide. You've now been sent your copies, I'm sure, and send me your suggestions for acts that you would like me to get on. I've got about five or six places left. Um, And Rod's date, Mr. Rod Gilbert, will be uh, coming to join the show as well. And I'm still keeping that date secret. That is only available to members of my mailing list. So you can join that on my website. um, or You can email info at comedianscomedian.com just with the word subscribe in the title. And also, finally, this week, I've got a preview at The Pleasance this Sunday, the 24th of June. And uh, I did a little competition last time uh, to send in your favourite swear word. Um, and the winner of that competition was Nick Jenkin with the word fuckwit. So thank you very much for that, Nick. Uh, get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com. Oh, you don't need to. I've got your email address already. Fine, I'll send you a thing. Uh, and uh, a free ticket there for Nick Jenkin to the, the preview of Prick at the Pleasance this Sunday. Come along if you fancy it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy your fortnight, and I'll see you soon with... I don't know which one's coming next. It's most likely going to be the new act special, which I'm recording at the moment. But if I manage to have any uh, big other kind of headliner chats, I'm still trying to track down Simon Evans, um, then, uh, then that might be that one next either. Thank you very much for listening. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.